0: Hey, it's Noor here. I'm the tech editor at The Conversation, and I'm just jumping in with a quick message. If you're interested in all the latest evidence-based analysis on tech, science, and the issues making news in Australia, please sign up today to our newsletter at theconversation.com. Now, back to the podcast. Trust me, I'm like a smart person.
1: From The Conversation, this is Trust Me, I'm an Expert, a podcast where we ask the academic experts to surprise, delight and inform us with their research. I'm Sananda Cray.
2: Basically, it's all about waiting. Super stingy and you just, and it's kind of itchy and hot and just gross.
1: That's Steph. What she's describing there is how it feels to have a urinary tract infection, or a UTI. They're pretty common. Maybe you've had one yourself, or your partner has, or your kid has. They're hell on earth. Like most people, Steph tackled her recurrent UTIs with antibiotics, and we'll hear more from her in a minute on how that turned out. But we are headed for a future where more and more antibiotics simply don't work anymore. On today's episode, I'm handing you over to one of the conversation's health editors, Phoebe Roth. She's been investigating this ticking time bomb of antibiotic resistance, and how scientists are racing to find new ways to kill germs that cause infections.
3: Many people believe that antibiotic resistance is when your own body becomes resistant to antibiotics, but this isn't actually correct. Antibiotic resistance is when bacteria become resistant to antibiotics. So this means that even if you've never taken antibiotics in your whole entire life, you can still be infected with an antibiotic-resistant bacteria.
0: That's Laura McCaukey.
3: My name is Laura McCaukey, and I'm a microbiologist and I work at the University of Technology Sydney in the I3 Institute, which is Infection, Immunity and Innovation. You might think the
0: problem she's describing there antibiotic resistance is something to worry about in the distant future but it's already having a deadly impact today.
3: The number of people dying globally from antibiotic resistant infections is around about 700,000 people a year and if you think about it that is equivalent to 32 Boeing 747s crashing every single week and killing everyone on board. That's a staggering number. If that happened in the aviation world, there would be immediate action. There'd be outrage. Flights would be cancelled. People wouldn't fly unless it was absolutely necessary. However, as these antibiotic resistance deaths are only occurring in hospitals, or mainly occurring in hospitals and in isolated cases, so no mass event like a plane crash, then they're going somewhat unnoticed. Did you get that?
0: The number of people dying globally every week from antibiotic-resistant infections is equivalent to 32 Boeing 747s full of people. And if that sounds scary, the projections for the future are even scarier.
3: With our current trajectory, it's estimated that by 2050, there'll be more than 10 million people a year die from drug-resistant infections. And that number is more than is currently killed by cancer. So it's a staggering thought.
0: While people who are already very sick make up those most likely to die from drug-resistant infections, you
3: or me, your kids, your friends, any of us could be at risk. So bacteria are present everywhere, and anywhere you can pick up an infection, you can pick up an antibiotic-resistant infection. Also, the more prevalent antibiotic resistance becomes as a problem, the higher the likelihood that me or you would pick up an infection that wouldn't respond to antibiotics, So for less serious infections that you may have only had a day or two off work because you had your antibiotics and you were feeling better. If your infection is antibiotic resistant and your antibiotics aren't working, it means you'll be sicker for longer. You'll require more time off work, which has both economic and financial repercussions. You'll need to take more expensive medications and these may have more unwanted side effects as well, um, which you wouldn't want. Um, And the risk of complications and death for these less serious infections also increases when the infections are drug resistant. Although we may associate antibiotic resistant infections with mainly hospital settings, antibiotic resistance has the potential to affect anyone of any age in any country.
0: So the sorts of infections you go to your GP for could soon become much harder to treat. Let's go back to Steph, who chatted to Sunanda about her experience with recurrent urinary tract infections. If you've ever had one, you'll relate to what Steph is talking about here.
2: Horrible things that so many women tend to get. It's one of those horrible things that seems to be more common in women than men, thanks to science. But it's basically... It's all about weeing and how often you feel like you need to go. And then when you do go, it's really stingy. It's often, for me, comes with a fever as well. And you just feel really horrible and gross. And everyone says, just drink lots of cranberry juice. You'll get through it. Um, But it's, I I don't know. I feel like that's a bit of an old wives' tale myself. Uh, So I was getting these every six to eight weeks um, at, at a certain point in time.
0: So, Steph was going back to her doctor for antibiotics each time she got a UTI. But eventually, her doctor put her on a continuous course of low-dose antibiotics.
2: I ended up um, you know, going there every time, each time paying to see the doctor, getting another dose of antibiotics, taking the antibiotics, hoping it would work, and it just got to be a pain in the ass. So, I worked with my doctor to find another solution, and the solution was actually to go on antibiotics full time. So there's one treatment that you can do for UTIs that you know, are, are constantly flaring up, is to take a really low dose antibiotic um, every day. So I started doing that, but then I also just started getting wary of the fact that if I'm taking this an- low dose antibiotic all the time, then what would that do um, to, to my body's reaction to other antibiotics if I needed it for something else? Um, so in the end, I took myself off it. Um, and I, weirdly enough, haven't had any UTI since then. Uh, so yeah, fingers crossed, touch wood. But um, it kind of just made me realize that there's got to be other ways of doing this than to constantly be taking a strain of antibiotic.
0: Steph is pretty tuned in to the fact that we should be taking antibiotics cautiously. Being mindful of when we do and don't need antibiotics is one of the things we can all be doing to tackle the problem of antibiotic resistance. But what else can be done? Fortunately, there are people like Laura working away in the lab on solutions to this problem. We'll come back to that shortly. I sat down with a doctor who is on the front line treating patients with drug-resistant infections.
4: My name's uh, Alan Cheng. I'm uh, Director of Infection Prevention and Healthcare Epidemiology at Alfred Health and Professor of Infectious Diseases Epidemiology at Monash University.
0: Do you see patients day to day that are suffering as a result of antibiotic
4: resistance? Absolutely. So I work at Alfred Health and um, we have a lot of um, patients that are sort of the sickest of the sick. So they We have a very large intensive care unit. We have uh, bone marrow transplants and patients with burns. And um, in that group of patients, we do use a lot of antibiotics. Unfortunately, what we do see is um, we do see quite a lot of antibiotic resistance and that's antibiotic resistance occurs in bacteria. And uh, when they cause infections, then we do have to deal with them and try and find different antibiotics to, um, to fight those infections.
0: Alan Cheng says doctors should be prescribing antibiotics more stringently and having conversations with their patients to ensure they understand when antibiotics are and aren't needed.
4: So we use antibiotics in sort of three main broad areas. Obviously in hospitals where I work we do use a lot of antibiotics and um, we really need to make sure that when we're using them we're using from the shortest amount of time that we need to treat the infection and also the most appropriate antibiotic for the infection to try and sort of target that infection rather than using broad spectrum antibiotics which might have sort of impacts across the board. So in hospitals obviously we're using antibiotics and the patient's not often part of that decision. They probably should be more than they but you know with very sick patients, they're not generally part of the, that sort of uh, decision making in the community um, it's a bit different so you know patients walking in to see their gp they're often part of that decision we're really trying to sort of limit the amount of antibiotics that are used in that sort of situation so for example people that have the flu or upper respiratory tract infections don't usually require antibiotics for their um, infections and particularly if they're viral infections and those are probably not um, it's probably not a good use of antibiotics and you risk getting antibiotic resistance um, if you were to get an infection in in the future. The third sort of group of um, uh, place where antibiotics are used are, is actually in animals. There are probably um, slightly more antibiotics used in animals than in humans, allowing for the fact that we have a lot of animals, obviously, in Australia. And um, particularly in food production, there's um, a reasonable amount of antibiotics being used. That's a much more complicated situation, but there are a lot of things that we can do to try and design animal facilities better to try and prevent the need for antibiotics in that sort of situation. And we need to continue to put pressure on food production companies and, and agriculture to to do those sorts of things
0: can the public say people listening to this podcast have an impact in curbing this problem
4: Absolutely. And I think, you know, we often frame this around, you know, sort of a little bit like climate change where we're trying to preserve antibiotics for future generations and, and it's a little bit nebulous and that is true. But actually trying to reduce antibiotic use actually benefits the patient as well. So it's known that if you take a course of antibiotics, then you have an increased risk of having an antibiotic resistant organism for the next sort of six to 12 months. And so by not taking antibiotic, you're preserving it in case you need it as well in the future. So the two things that are important is, one, when you go to see the doctor, if they do give you antibiotics for something that's, uh, you know, a real infection, to say, how long do I need to take this for? Can I just stop it when I'm feeling better or do I really need to finish the course of antibiotics? And for some things, obviously, you do need to finish the course of antibiotics, but others, you, you may not need to. And the second is that I think sometimes doctors feel like they're under pressure to give antibiotics, and that pressure may be perceived or it might be real um, pressure that, you know, people feel like they want to leave the doctor with something tangible. But if the doctor says that, you know, makes the judgment that it's a viral infection or it's not an infection that doesn't require antibiotics, then that's, um, you know, that can be for your own good as well.
0: In recent years, we've seen the emergence of superbugs, including salmonella typhi, Mycobacterium tuberculosis, and several others I'm not even going to try to pronounce the names of. I wondered what the next big superbug on the horizon is.
4: So the one we're really dealing with at the moment is called CPE, which is um, carbapenemase-resistant enterobacteriaceae, a sort of very complicated uh, bug. So this is um, bacteria that are quite common in the bowel and um, would be a very common cause of uh, urinary tract infections, so E. coli and Klebsiella and so on. And they've acquired a, a resistance to our last line antibiotics, like so carbapenem um, antibiotics, which are uh, sort of very important uh, class of antibiotics. So we're seeing sort of a fair number of those in Australia. Uh, we're also seeing those coming in from um, overseas. So people that have been overseas bring these back with them. And that's sort of the infection that we're probably most worried about at the moment.
0: the antibiotics we've got are working less and less. Can we just create new antibiotics? Here's Laura McGogay again.
3: Yes, so there is still the possibility to make new antibiotics. And there are some large pharmaceutical companies, some small biotechnology companies and academic research groups working to create new antibiotics. However the golden era of antibiotic discovery which was the 1930s and 1940s is long gone and it's now actually very difficult to discover new antibiotics that work in a totally different way to the antibiotics we already have and trying to find antibiotics that work in a totally different way is key to slowing the progress of antibiotic resistance. So bacteria will always find ways to become resistant to any antibiotics that we develop because they've been doing it for billions of years. But if we can come up with something they've not seen before or they've not seen en masse before, it'll take longer for the antibiotic resistance that they do eventually develop to spread throughout the population. If we're just developing analogues or similar compounds to ones we've already got that might work just slightly differently, then the resistance will appear in the population much quicker. So it's very difficult to find antibiotics that work in a totally different way because in the 1930s and 40s and up to about the 1970s, we kind of found them all. Like, we went, this is great, we'll be doing this forevermore. And then, well, we realised that we can't just keep finding new ones. The issue as well is that developing a new antibiotic takes between 10 and 15 years and it also costs billions of dollars. So it's very hard for pharmaceutical companies or biotech companies to make their money back. And this is because, first of all, antibiotics are sold so cheaply compared to drugs like anti-cancer drugs or heart medication. Yeah, antibiotics are sold for cents. Also... We don't take antibiotics for a very long time. We only take them for a week or 10 days or however long we're prescribed. Whereas for some chronic illnesses, you're on medication for the rest of your life. So there's a long sale period there. And then thirdly, we're now trying to ask people to stop taking antibiotics. Don't take them unless you really, really have to. And stop using them in farming because you're making this huge problem. So if we're now trying to say, don't use antibiotics, The pharma companies who are developing them are saying, but I want to sell lots of antibiotics. So it becomes really, really difficult to make your money back, especially when you've spent billions of dollars. So 20 years ago, there were 20 large pharma companies in this space because it was easier to make your money. And now there's only a handful. Um, So yes, we can potentially find new antibiotics, but without the financial backing and other incentives, it's just not happening. I've heard of something called
0: bacteriophages as a possible alternative to antibiotics. What are they?
3: Bacteriophages are viruses that only attack bacteria, so they cannot infect human cells. Once they attack a bacterial cell, they get inside of it and they replicate and make lots and lots and lots of more bacteriophage, and then they burst open, killing the cell as they burst out. Bacteriophage therapy, so using bacteriophage to treat infections in humans, was used in Eastern Europe before the discovery of antibiotics in the 1930s. But the success of antibiotics meant that bacteriophage therapy was put to the side by Western Europe until more recently. Bacteriophage is by no means a universal and easy um, to manufacture and administer as antibiotics are. Bacteriophages are specific for particular types of bacteria unlike antibiotics that work on a whole range of different types of bacteria um, including the good bacteria in your gut so for this reason you need to know or to have a pretty good idea of what is causing your infection and what is making you sick before you administer the bacteriophage so also bacteriophage are living organisms so you can't formulate them into a tablet store them for a few years ship them around the world Bacteriophage are much more a form of personalised medicine. Bacteriophages do have really good pros. Firstly, they will work against bacteria that are resistant to antibiotics and that's what we need because for some people there's now infections that just can't be cured by antibiotics. And secondly, it wouldn't kill all the good bacteria in your gut it would only kill the bad bacteria because these bacteriophages are specific for a certain type of bacteria. So that would keep your gut bacteria healthy and happy as you were treating the infection. So that's a really great point about bacteriophage. There are bacteriophage clinical trials going on in many countries for many different types of bacterial infections and this therapy is being used in hospitals when all other antibiotics have failed. Although special permission is needed on a case-by-case basis because the use of bacteriophage for treatment in humans hasn't been approved by the Therapeutic Goods Administration in Australia or the Food and Drug Administration in America yet.
0: We're definitely facing a battle. Alongside scientists continuing to work on alternatives, according to the experts, our best shot at reversing the trends of antibiotic resistance will be doctors working with the public to ensure we're only using antibiotics when we really need to.
4: So it is really important because so much of our modern medicine is really based around being able to effectively treat infections. So all the other things that we do, treat cancers, you know, have organ transplants, you know, uh, have surgery safely, have uh, deliver babies safely. A lot of that depends on having effective antibiotics. And if we don't try and preserve these antibiotics, then that those gains that we've made over the last um, several decades will really be lost.
3: If someone in the 1920s had been told about antibiotics, they would have marvelled at these medicines and they would have found our blatant disregard for them a dreadful and shameful waste.
1: Trust Me, I'm an Expert is a podcast from The Conversation. I'm Sananda Cray. Special thanks today to Phoebe Roth for bringing us this episode and to all the people who took the time to talk to us. Our theme beats are by Uncle Ho from Elephant Tracks and we've used music in this episode by Poddington Bear. You can find full credits and sign up for our daily newsletter all on our website at theconversation.com. I'll chat to you soon.